You are listening to The Break Room Podcast, brought to you by the Academy of New York. Hello, my name is Chris, and I am the producer and the host of the show. Today, I, along with my co-host Robbie, will be getting down to business. Business idioms, I mean. We are going to talk about eight business idioms for you to use outside of this podcast, and you could be able to use these with native speakers immediately. So I recommend having a pen and paper with you to write down these great idioms because they are going to be very useful for you. This podcast is for intermediate to advanced level students. So let's get down to business. You're listening to The Break Room Podcast, brought to you by the Academy of New York. My name is Chris. As always, I'm the host of the show, and today I have Robbie. Hi, Robbie. Hello, Chris. Good to be here. How are you? I'm great today. I'm good. Happy to be uh, participating in the podcast, finally. Finally. Yes, I'm doing very well. I hope that you have your briefcase, in your, in your, your three-piece suit, and you're ready to get started on this business business-focused podcast. Today, we're focusing on eight business idioms that we use in everyday conversation in small businesses, as well as the corporate world. So we're going to go back and forth with four idioms each. And I highly recommend for anyone listening to this podcast to have a pen and paper. So if you're listening to the podcast, you could just write some things down that might be interesting for you. And of course, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or Google Playlist, wherever you get your podcast, really. So, Robbie, I have a question for you before we get started. Could you tell me about some business experience that you might have before teaching? Yeah. um, So my business experience is actually mostly, like in the corporate world, is mostly in Poland, actually. Um, I studied television production in the States, and so my work experience there was mostly related to, uh, to that industry. So it's not really the same as like a corporate, corporate job, but, uh, here in Warsaw, I've worked for a couple different corporations. One was a big, very well-known American company. Um, and the other is a small Polish French company. Um, and yeah, so I have a, I have a little bit of experience playing, playing the corporate game, you could say. Um, that's, that's cool. What would be sort of like some major cultural differences between working with Americans compared to working with Polish people? That's a really good question. Um, I think Polish people will be a lot more direct with you than Americans would be. I think Americans tend to sugarcoat things a little bit more and not directly say, hey, I need this done at this time. But hey, if you have time, maybe could you, you know, something like that. Whereas Uh my Polish bosses were more like, this needs to be done at 4 p.m. on Friday. I was like, okay. <laughs> just, just get it done, yes? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So for our audience, how can you be able to explain what sugarcoat means? Uh, sugarcoat. So for people listening, I would say that if you're sugarcoating something, you're really trying to make a, you're, you're trying to find a nicer, more gentle way to say whatever it is you're trying to say. Um, so in this case, using my example, it was my boss saying, get this done at this time. To sugarcoat it, you could say, hey, could you, it would really, I'd really appreciate it if you could focus your work in such a way that you could finish this task at this time. And it's, it's the same meaning. It's just a lot nicer. 
I see. So it's it's really, yes, I, I like what you said. It's just a lot nicer. Instead of just giving the harsh requests or just like being straightforward, we're sort of sugarcoating it, making the message nicer so we could feel better. Yeah. More or less. I like Almost it. Almost sweeter in a way. Yeah. Ah, sweeter. <laughs> yes. Ah, speaking of sugarcoating, I kind of want something sweet. All right, Robbie, <laughs> let's do it. Uh, we're going to go back and forth with our idioms. Once again, please write, uh, write these idioms down if you don't know them. First idiom I'm going to start off with would be cut corners. So they tried to cut corners during the construction of the bridge. Now it's falling down. When I when we're trying to explain cut corners, a great way to, to explain it would be to save money or to save some sort of effort. So you're trying to get the project done quicker than how it should be. Uh, another example of cutting corners could be somebody sort of cheating on a process. So if you know that you need to write this essay, let's say a 500 word essay, a way to cut corners on this would be to look at different websites and sort of plagiarize on this. And so this idiom is not necessarily a good idiom, but it is, uh, it is essential because a lot of native speakers say cut corners all of the time. So Robbie, have you ever cut corners in your work before? What happened? Unfortunately, yes. Um, you know, sometimes we've been uh, given deadlines that were just way too close and instead of being able to do, you know, take the deep dive you'd like to take into every case, you got to cut some corners. You got to pick the main, the main aspects of what you're doing and focus on that and get it done to the best of your ability before the deadline comes. Um, it's obviously, like you said, this is not the greatest, most positive experience, but it happens. And sometimes it happens more than you would like it to happen. So do you think it's sometimes needed to cut corners? Yeah, I do think it's needed sometimes. Uh, I think it also can help people kind of think outside the box. And I think that sometimes people will think of that style of thinking that's different than what they're used to as cutting corners when it may not be the case. Someone may have just found a more efficient way to do things. Yes, if we're thinking about, if we're talking about thinking outside of the box or thinking more creatively, more efficiently, then that could be a way of cutting corners, but more of a positive aspect. I like that, Robbie. Great. All right, your turn. What idiom All do you right. have for me? Uh, the idiom I have for you, Chris, is break the ice. So the meaning of breaking the ice is someone who you haven't met before, feel a little bit more relaxed, more comfortable with who you are. Um, so do you sure it's not making drinks? Could you say that again? Right. Are you sure it's not making drinks? Am, am I making? Am I breaking some ice to make some cocktails? Uh, maybe after work, totally. Oh, uh, okay. But, <laughs> but definitely, probably not during the uh, during the meetings. Um, breaking the ice is something that I've found as someone on the receiving end of a meeting. You know, being in the audience, so to say, uh, it helps a lot. It really humanizes the person you're talk that's speaking, even if this someone, you know, if this person is multiple levels above you in your company, uh, even just a little joke or an anecdote or something that's not all business, just it kind of helps people relax for a little bit and drop their guard for a second. And then uh, in my experience, it makes the business information come a lot smoother and a lot easier. Yeah, so I'll use this in a sentence to give people an example here. Um, the sentence we have is, she was a bit cold, 
so he made a little small talk to break the ice. Kind of like what I just referenced uh, with, you know, asking someone, hey, how are you? How's it going today? Oh, I had a crazy weekend. Something like that. Um, mm -hmm. So now that we know what it means, Chris, I'd like to ask you, what do people talk about when they want to break the ice in your classroom? So you, you gave some great examples about, say, for example, like, how are you? Or how was the weather? Uh, what did you do over the weekend? These are great icebreakers. Um, if I were to use an example in my classes, you know, it, it's, it's natural for a student to come in and they feel nervous, they feel stressed, and you need to break the ice to sort of help them become calmer, um, feel more relaxed. So a great way for me to break the ice is, oh, excuse my Polish here, but I like to introduce myself in Polish. I say, which in English just means my name is Chris and I'm bald. So when I when I sort of put that out there, a lot of people, a lot of my Polish students, they laugh, they they see, okay, you know, my teacher is not some sort of stuck up teacher that's going to sort of get on me for every little mistake. He's human just like me. He makes mistakes just like me. He's a student just like me. And once they understand that, then the learning experience is always a great one. What about you, Robbie? What do you do to break the ice with your students? I really like what you did. I, I think I might steal that from time to time. Um, steal away. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm a pretty sarcastic person, so I usually tend to make some sort of a joke uh, just to get people to relax. I will just I'll also just openly tell them about myself, who I am, where I'm from, make them. I want to try to make them feel just comfortable. And like you said, make it so I'm not some stuck up teacher. I want them to see me as a person and then a teacher. Like, cause I think that just really helps the comfort in the class and they can, cause you know, in the classes you may be correcting them and that can be a, like maybe a tough dynamic sometimes if they perceive you as very strict and unfriendly. And if you're constantly telling them that they're wrong that may not be the greatest experience for, for both sides. Um, so breaking the ice, kind of just calming it down letting a couple minutes go by of just nice easy chat about your weekend, what's going on, what are your plans? Something like and, that. And most importantly, when we ask these kinds of questions to our students, we're sort of um, helping them along when, when it comes to practicing the tenses. So if we say, what did you do over the weekend? This is a past simple sentence or a past continuous sentence where you're now talking about what you did in the past. So on Saturday, I was reading or I read a book. And this is, this is a great way to practice your tenses in grammar. So breaking the ice has a lot of benefits. It definitely does. Good. But um, I don't think breaking the ice can cause a bottleneck, which is our next idiom. So causing a bottleneck, which means creating an obstacle or delay in progress or production. Now, bottleneck is an interesting term because we can use bottleneck when it comes to us driving on a highway or on a street and say we see a car accident that just happened ahead of us. People who bottleneck would be to slow down and to take a look at what's going on with the accident, even though it has nothing to do with them. <laughs> just keep driving. So in this context, when you cause a bottleneck, you're sort of delaying, you're sort of slowing down production. Could be on purpose or it could be by accident. Here's a sentence for, for you guys for context. There is more demand for the product than supply. This is causing a bottleneck in our production. 
So we have way too much demand for the product that we're creating and it is slowing us down. So causing a bottleneck. Robbie, what things can cause a bottleneck in your job? Oh man, in my specific job, that's a, that's a good one. I'll, I'll, I'll think about that and I'll, I'll come back to that. But I want to touch on something that one of my students has recently told me about his job. Um, yes, that he's experiencing a massive bottleneck in it's the lack of raw material. Mm. He works for a company that produces things using raw materials and there's no raw materials. Mm-hmm. So if there, you know, if you don't have anything to start from, you can't produce. And that creates a huge bottleneck in production. So the yeah. day the materials show up, you know, they'll just get as many orders out as they can and hope they can catch up as much as they can. And then they, then, then it'll probably just be bottlenecked again. Um, Definitely. So I think that's the best example. I don't really know, honestly, how to give you a, a great example with, from the teaching industry. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that was a great, that was a great example that you just gave. And I want to even expand on that to a more global scale. The pandemic COVID has caused a bottleneck in many different industries, particularly in the logistics industry. We're having truck drivers. There's a, a lack of truck drivers. There's a lack of people who are, um, who are in the supply industry. They are going to, um, that needs to do the packaging and the sending and everything. We're getting delays in our deliveries, basically. If I order something online instead of two weeks, it could be one month until I get my product. So right now, COVID-19, is causing a bottleneck in many different industries. And it's quite inconvenient. I don't like it. Can can COVID go away, please? Can we just snap our fingers and just <laughs> and just get back to normal life? Oh man, I know I miss my overnight two day deliveries. <laughs> Where did those yes. go? <laughs> yes, exactly. The the oh oh yeah, Amazon. Yeah, they're perfect for that one there. Okay, yeah. this is this is good. Causing a bottleneck in our in the teaching industry. I think what might cause a bottleneck in the teaching industry could be since we're teaching online, could be a lack of internet could be, um, you know, a poor internet connection, could also be, um, you know, possibly just losing our teaching material, maybe we just can't find it. <laughs> or, you know, there's some teachers that they're, you know, we need to like sort of plan ahead, but there's other teachers that sort of like go with the flow. So it could just be, could be that, who knows, but yeah, you're right. There's not many, not many things that cause a bottleneck in the teaching industry, because everything's already structured. So that's the benefit of it. Yeah, for sure. I think for me personally speaking on that, it's more about the, it's the bad internet connection or it's the ability mm-hmm. or the inability of the student for whatever reason, probably not their fault 100% of the time. It's Zoom or internet or whatever it is. And that causes a bottleneck even in the class. You know, if everybody mm-hmm. else can connect and there's one or two people who can't, they fall behind because, you know, you can only wait yes. a couple minutes for somebody and then you got to yes. kind of just move on. So, yeah, I think that's a great example. Um, All right. To move to our next idiom, uh, the next idiom we're going to talk about is get on board. Um, so to get on board with something just means to agree or to accept something. Um, it's it's a it's something we're I think having to learn a lot now, especially during COVID times. We have to get on board with how the world is changing day to day. You may wake up with new restrictions tomorrow. You never know. You just have to deal with it or get on board with it. Um, So to use this in a sentence, we can say, we need to get on board with social media. Everyone else is doing it. Absolutely, especially if you run a business, 
you got to be on social media. So to use this in a question for you, Chris, is it easy to get on board with cryptocurrency? Oh my God. You know, the, it's, it's a, that's a very interesting question because the, the sort of the new trend or fad is NFTs, non-fungible tokens. And the only way you could get an NFT is to use cryptocurrency like a Bitcoin or a doggy coin. However, it is not easy for me to get on board with this because it is confusing. I have no idea how to even sort of get started with investing in cryptocurrency or investing in NFTs. And to be quite frank, or to be honest, I'm a little bit skeptical with the whole cryptocurrency and NFTs because I want my investments to be realistic. I actually want to see it. I want to touch it. And if I'm just going to sort of throw away my hard-earned money in something, sort of, yeah, there's a word we we can use called tangible, and tangible means real. So I would I would want my investments to be tangible compared to uh, an internet meme, right? So, yeah, no, it's not easy for me to get on board. What about you? Are are you are you familiar with cryptocurrency or NFTs? I, you know, I've heard of NFTs. I don't personally. I just don't really see the value. Maybe there's something I don't know, but who knows? I would with as when it comes to cryptocurrency, I don't know much. Uh, I know it's easy to acquire now, especially in the states. You can buy it through a lot of different options. Very very quick registration. You can start buying with your credit card. So it's easy to get access to it, but to fully understand it and use it. That's the different thing. Uh, just to throw a little statistic out there, I noticed last month that cryptocurrency lost a trillion dollars of its market value and it was previously valued at $3 trillion. So that's 33%. That's a big hit in one month. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's regulation coming from the United States, which will affect the industry a lot. And people are very uncertain. So if you're paying attention to crypto now, it's crashing. This is, mm-hmm. this is one of the reasons why. So yeah. See, that's why I don't want to do cryptocurrency. No, yeah. sir. Yeah, I uh, totally agree. <laughs> uh, I have another question when it comes to get on board. What is a crazy idea that you had from? Okay, I got one. What is a crazy idea that was proposed by your wife that you had to get on board with? <laughs> crazy idea proposed by my wife that I had to get on board with. Oh, that's a good one. Hmm. Probably that we will be making many trips over the weekends to go to her parents' house. Okay. Uh, It's nothing personal. I would just rather not (laughs) 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 to to make it simple. I'd rather just, you know, use my weekend to relax and hang out in Warsaw. But yeah, Uh sometimes you got to bite the bullet, we could say. So you just go with the flow. You just accept it and get on board with it, make it happen. Yes. Yes. And just to, just to repeat, spite the bullet just means to accept something that you don't really want to do, but you just have to do it anyway. Just, just get it done. Uh, a crazy idea, um, from my wife was to ride a horse. Now, some, for some people, it's not a crazy idea. Like how is riding a horse, a crazy idea, but please hear me out. I have never ridden a horse. Well, when I was five, I rode a I rode a pony, but other than that, I have never ridden a horse. So, oh, 
it was uh it was an interesting experience um i was scared definitely because i mean i've never yeah for me to put my butt on a on a horse and, and walk and have and ride it for a good 30 40 minutes that was sort of um i don't know it was a scary moment for me not really a fan but because i love my wife it was her birthday she said chris i want you on a horse <sighs> All right, I have to get on board with that idea. Yeah, let's do next it. Thing you know, you're on a horse. Let's <laughs> think you know I'm on a horse. All right, so guys, I hope that you are enjoying the idiom so far. We have given you four to repeat. The idioms that we have started with are cut corners, break the ice, causing a bottleneck, and get on board. After this commercial break, we will give you four more idioms along with some great conversation. So. Let's take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Podobać się nasz podcast? Dobrze jest osłuchiwać się z językiem angielskim, ale jeszcze lepiej jest ćwiczyć poprzez rozmowę. W Academy of New York nasi lektorzy z USA prowadzą kursy na każdym poziomie zaawansowania. Dlatego jeśli podcast to dla ciebie za mało, kliknij w link poniżej i umów się na darmową lekcję próbną. Hello everybody, welcome back to the break room. I'm Robbie. I'm the guest teacher today with our host, Chris. Uh, we've been talking so far about some business idioms. We've covered four up to this point. We've got four more great ones for you. And as always, extremely entertaining conversation. Yes. Um, as always. As always. <laughs> uh, so we'll just dive into the next one. The next idiom we have for you guys today is the bottom line. The direct meaning of the bottom line is a net income or loss. Um, to use this in a sentence, it would be outsourcing customer service can improve the bottom line by reducing costs. Uh, the bottom line is a very, very important idiom to know, especially if you're in the business world, because at the end of the day, it all comes down to the bottom line. Are you profitable? Or are you not profitable? Are you in the red or are you in the black, right? So let me ask you, Chris, when someone wants to express the bottom line in their argument, what does that mean? Ooh, if we're using the idiom, the bottom line in somebody's argument, I would say that this is sort of providing a summary of what we, of what I have talked about. So if I were to give an example, if I'm going to, explain, I don't know, the history of New York, for example. And one of my students uh, says, all right, all right, Chris, that's nice. That's nice. Just, just get to the bottom line. What, what are you trying to say? The bottom line in this context would be to summarize my whole argument, my whole speech into one simple, maybe one sentence, two sentence, but make it as simple as possible. Just a summary of it. Am I, am I getting there, Robbie? Do you, yeah, do you accept that explanation? Absolutely. Absolutely. You're right on. It's like basically the main point of what you're trying to say. Yes, exactly. In a, um, in a clean I, way. Yes, I did. I, I like that you brought up, um, are you in the red or are you in the black? Could you expand on that a little bit more? What does that mean? Sure. So using these color terms, red and black, to talk about your bottom line is... It's in reference to if you're profitable or if you're not. Um, so if you're in the red, not a good sign. Uh, it means you're losing money right now. Your business is not profitable. If you're in the black, you're, I would assume you are a much happier person. <laughs> um, you're profitable. Things are probably going like they should. And you're making money. 
Um, you may even say you're making money hand over fist to Ooh. throw another idiom in there for you. Oh, hand over fist. Do you want to explain that one? Yeah. Hand over fist means that the money's just coming in. You're making money easily. You don't have to work too hard to get it. You're profitable. People want your business. So it's easy for you to get new clients, keep your business running. And yes. Keep the money flowing. <laughs> keep the money flowing. Hand over fist. I like that. Yeah. But, you know, would you say that the bottom line can open a can of worms for you? Or not? Definitely, I think if you're if you're in the red, it's a it's a very likely situation. Yes, and that's that's my segue to the next idiom: a can of worms, which means a source of many unpredictable and complicated problems. So, if you can sort of imagine holding a can of worms, I don't think that would be a good feeling. I mean, just holding a can of worms just seems quite quite nasty, quite disgusting. So if you're in a situation where there is a can of worms, then it's not necessarily um, not necessarily good. Let me give an, uh, an example sentence. I'm sure that there is a lot of corruption in that country. The investigation may open up a can of worms. So in this context, the information that we might receive might cause a lot of controversy, might, might result in something bad. So, Robbie, can you think of a situation that could be described as opening a can of worms? Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of situations that can uh, be described as opening a can of worms. It's say it nicely. It's like to maybe get involved where you shouldn't be involved, like your example sentence. Um, this investigation may open up a can of worms. You may see you may uncover a lot of things you didn't want to know or had kind of hoped you could live in in ignorance about um so there's a lot of situations for me something that can be a bit of a can of worms like a difficult and tough situation is if i would take over a class that has people at the mismatch levels and that's tough you know maybe they come from a teacher who just kind of didn't do anything just came to him and talked for an hour and left um that can be difficult. That could definitely be a can of worms because one person understands, somebody else doesn't, and you don't know where the middle ground is, the exact place to, to make it so everybody can understand. That I'm trying to make it teaching focused. So yeah, that's how I would describe. Yeah, I, I like that example. I mean, this is sort of a everyday, not an everyday, but it, this is sort of a common thing that happens when it comes to teaching English. Sometimes we will get students who are not really on the, the level that they should be. Um, and sometimes it could open a can of worms because the student could be sort of frustrated with what we're trying to say, or just flat out just do, do, do not understand anything that's in the class. And normally when this happens, as teachers, we still need to maintain a level of professionalism and just keep the class going. And what I would do in order to save the situation or salvage the situation is if there is if there is a student that is on a lower level, I just say, please have a pen, a piece of paper, and anything interesting that you are hearing or seeing, just write it down. Try to make the best of your learning experience. And that is how you could be able to prevent more worms from coming out of the can, if, if we could put it in that context. I, here's another example about a can of worms. Have you heard about this, this scandal that happened in Silicon Valley uh, with the company Theranos? Yeah. 
I know a little bit. Ah, uh, yes. So for for the audience who who's not familiar with this story, Theranos is or was a company in Silicon Valley that sort of promoted a a new device on how to check your blood samples. And you know, on the outside, it looked pretty good. The story was pretty good, and the CEO was very convincing. However, she was selling smoke, which in this context, it just means that she was selling a product that was non-existent. It didn't work. And when the government did an investigation, like we just did in use in this uh, an example, it opened up a can of worms for her. And unfortunately, she was found guilty for fraud. So life lesson, guys, don't lie to investors. It might come back to bite you. <laughs> For sure. Maybe just a little bit. <laughs> yes. All right. So, Robbie, what what idiom do we have next? Uh, this is a great one. This is something that I uh, I like a lot. Maybe I don't like it, but I'll explain. So, the yeah. idiom we have is "breathe down someone's neck." And if you just think about that for a second, it it does sound a little creepy to mm-hmm. just breathe down someone's neck. But you can also take the literal meaning of it to help you understand the idiom. Whereas if you're close enough to breathe on somebody's neck, you're right in their space. Um, so the meaning of this is to watch someone's activity activities very closely. Another word I like to use for this is micromanage. Because uh, that's what it is. You're monitoring every single thing someone is doing. You're breathing down their neck. So like in, in, a, in an example here, since she became a director, she no longer has a boss breathing down her neck. So she's been able to move past the point where someone needs to be micromanaging her, breathing down her neck, checking her every move. Um, Personally, for me, this is something when they ask me in an interview, what don't you like? This is what I say. Don't micromanage. Uh, uh, Don't micromanage. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Teach me, Uh, guide me, but let me work. Like, you know, you don't need to stop me every three minutes. Definitely. Um, yeah. So let me ask you, Chris, is it efficient to breathe down people's necks? Mm. Mm. Interesting question. I read an article about certain companies in America that are installing a software where they're going to supervise their workers who are working remotely and everything that they do. And to me, when I read this article, it screamed Big Brother. It screamed 1984, if anyone knows the reference. And no, I don't think it's sufficient to breathe down some somebody's neck. For this reason, we're not kids. We're adults. And the great leadership should, should be allowing your workers to have a level of freedom and responsibility to perform their jobs efficiently and effectively. So breathing down their necks can cause some anxiety, could cause anger, could cause a lot of negative feelings. And eventually it could lead them to quitting, which is something that you don't want. So I don't think so. No, I don't think it's efficient at all. Yeah. And I'm just going to piggyback on what you said. Uh, if, if, I, if somebody asks me, what is one thing I don't like when it comes to you know some form of work? Yeah, I don't want people to supervise me all the time. Not, not a good thing. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like you said, we're adults, you know, we're, and let's, let's be honest in these situations. We're not at work for fun. We're at work to make money. Right. We need right. the job. So we're going to do what we need to do to keep it and to be a good, a good quality worker. 
back to that point you made about that software, the first company in Warsaw I worked for here, that software was on our computers. Mm. You went to the bathroom. Where were you? Really? Every time you logged in and out of your system, it would say, where were you for the past? And it had a timer since your last login. Where were you? And there were like mm -hmm. three acceptable answers. Like your lunch break. Okay, fine. Bathroom break. Fine. And then something else was okay. But it was like. Cigarette break. In an office and you're still on top <laughs> of me. I did not like that. It, it made for a very hostile work environment between the management and the workers because they would come with these details that don't matter. Oh, you spent three extra minutes away from your desk. It's like, yeah, but my efficiency is a hundred percent. So who cares? Mm, you know, mm. it just kind of perpetuated the ineffective management style. And they were just, it just led to the culture of them constantly breathing down your neck. So. And I think at some point this, at some point in history, I, I, I would say this, this was probably effective. But now that we're in an age where workers' freedom is more desirable, um, most most people in positions of power should understand that in order for in order to be effective is to allow your workers to do what they need to do, and if there are mistakes that happen, or if there are any, or if there is a lack of production, then you can hold these people accountable without having to breathe down their neck. It's a level of trust that most managements should be able to adapt. And I think that's happening for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. It's like what I would, what I told my manager at my last job is I think that managers should be, like you said, they should be able to hold people accountable. But at the same time, a major part of management is support. Mm -hmm. It's supporting your staff and giving them what they need. It's not just telling them what to do, it's showing them, it's leading by example. It's helping them fight through difficult cases or situations or whatever it may be. And I think that's lost on a lot of people in upper level positions. Definitely. Definitely. So if we're in a situation where we are getting sort of frustrated, angry, anxious that our boss is breathing down our neck, sometimes you could just keep a cool head. And that's our last idiom of the podcast. Keep a cool head, which in this case just means stay calm. So if we use it in a sentence, during intense and stressful negotiations, it is important to keep a cool head. Yep. I mean, there's nothing really to expand upon on, on this one here. It's we, uh, as Americans, we, I, I, I have definitely used this idiom before with uh, some of my friends. Hey, just keep a cool head. You know, like it's not that serious. Any situation that you cannot control, it's you shouldn't really focus too much of your energy on it. So just keep a cool head because, you know, it's at the end of the day, our emotions can can cause a uh, an effect on our health. And if we're angry, if we're anxious, that's not really healthy for us internally. So keep a cool head, man. You know, akuna matata. Just 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 do it. Yeah, like that. So, Robbie, question for you. How do you keep a cool head if your lesson plan fails during class? It's a tough one. Uh, I will admit when I was first starting out as a teacher, also it was in person, um, which has changed the dynamic a lot. It, it was tough. I would get really flustered and not sure what to do and probably just start talking fast and be, you know, all over the place. Uh, but over the years, I've learned that you just, I've learned to just be kind of more adaptable to things that, okay, if they're not into this topic, they're not into the topic. It is what it is. Let's just try to engage in a way that 
can get people talking, get people stimulated. Um, we may not always be able to stay on the planned topic, but that's okay. So I think it's the, it's really, for me, I've just learned to be more adaptable and to understand mm -hmm. that even though I've prepared this for the day, it's always good to have something to fall back on. Um, so usually in my classes, I try to have a, I have a plan for what we're trying to do, but it may fail. It happens. And so I try to have something, you know, like a bamboozle game or something like this. That's just a quick, easy, takes me one minute to switch to, and they can then forget about the topic they didn't like. And, you know, it may not be as detailed and focused as the plan we had, but that's okay. Cause they're still going to take something away from the lesson. So. Yes, definitely. And to expand on that. Yeah. I've also had a situation where I would give a lesson plan to my students and my students would just flat out say, Chris, we're not interested in this or Chris, this topic is boring. <laughs> and now my whole lesson plan is just now going down the toilet, which just means it's, it, it's failing. And yes, I need to sort of think, be quick on my feet. I need to think fast and I need to adjust. And a great, a great way for any teacher who, who might be listening to this, just play a, a game with your students. 21 questions is a great game for your students to not only create um, question formations, but it's also a way for them to get to know their colleagues as well as you as the teacher. So if you could be able to be creative and, and sort of, yeah, be creative with your lessons and try to find a plan B for them, then that, that will definitely keep cool heads in the classroom along with yourself. Great. Robbie, thank you very much for providing these idioms. Do you have any other idioms that you might have in mind? Man, not off the, not really off the top of my head. I threw a few other ones out there uh, while we were talking. So uh, I will say that cool heads usually do prevail and mm -hmm. cooler heads prevail, which means that the ability to keep a cool head will mean that you usually will be successful in what you're trying to achieve or accomplish. So yeah, I think it's a great, it's a great way to just try to, you know, take a deep breath. It'll be fine. Like. Yes, definitely. So before I let you go, Robbie, I'm going to now I'm going to make this a thing on my podcast. I'm going to ask all of the teachers who participate, what do they love the most about living in Poland? So Robbie, what do you love the most about living in Poland? What do I love the most about living in Poland? That's a good question. I've been here for a while. This is my sixth year in Poland. Um, my wife is Polish, so that's the main reason. Um, so obviously love. that's Probably the for love. Reason. Yeah, that's a common thing. You know, like if, if I speak to a British person or American, like, oh, why'd you come here? Oh, I'm married. Oh, I have a girlfriend. Oh, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, I got to say, I really, really, I love Polish food. Um, that's really nice. Uh, I also really like the safety of the society. And I like that it's it's just very different than the United States. You know, I'm from, I'm from the San Francisco Bay area where I'm really from is like a very quiet, safe place, but venturing into the city sometimes is not always the greatest. Venturing into some of these other neighborhoods are just sometimes not the greatest situation. You never know what can happen. It's a lot more unpredictable than it is here. It's just a much safer society. And I, I feel that when I walk around and I know my wife feels that too, because we've been in this, we went to the States a few years ago and she, there are some places she just didn't really love. So, mm -hmm. and I understand that. I'm, I think I'm more used to it because I'm from that area. So it's just, to me, this is what it is. But mm -hmm. in Poland, I really never had that issue. And I spent 
little over two years living in Lublin in the southeast of Poland, which is very different from Warsaw in mm -hmm. every single way. So, yeah, I, I think the safety of the society is nice. People tend to not get into your space as often. Good. Into your business. Yes. So Polish cuisine and safety. Yeah. Those are two, two, two essential things that, that make a, a great life here in Poland. And I absolutely agree for sure. All right, Robbie, thank you so much for joining the Breakroom Podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Chris. All right, cheers. Chcesz więcej ciekawych treści po angielsku takich jak ta? Obserwuj nas, aby być na bieżąco.